Hi, everybody. You are the nine o'clock, the early rising from the rain, the gloom. I'm glad you're here. Hey, so I'm really glad to be here because last night I was in Chicago and uh, I was on, a, getting on the plane to come to Portland and they came on and they said, well, uh, we have good news and bad news. The, the t- flight time is going to be less than normal because the winds aren't bad. The bad news is there's a little hole in the wing <laughs> and we don't know if we can fix it. So they had us get off the plane, and then they came back about a half hour. They said, we fixed it with some duct tape and silly putty, but we got, no, no. So I made it. But um, when Jose was flying to Scotland, which is where he is right now, I think he would have already preached by now at Rehope Church uh, in Glasgow, Scotland, I was flying to Ohio to take in a parenting conference by Emerson Egrett. Some of you know who he is, wrote the marriage book, Love and Respect. Also a book on the family, because my wife and I, who is here today, my lovely wife, babe, I love you, there she is, um, we're teaching a parenting conference. Yeah, go ahead, clap for her. She's amazing. Yeah. And she's only going to be at this one, so thanks for clapping. So she has responsibilities. But anyway, I wanted to see someone else do one so I could steal, but I wasn't very smart. I was just thinking Ohio, not a big state, so I booked myself into Cleveland. And then last week I thought, i got to figure out where Granville is. Well, it's at the opposite end of the state. And so I, I landed it really late at night, so I'm driving my map quest. is taking me down this rural road at midnight. I found out later that there's deer everywhere and people hit them all the time. And I'm, I'm going, Lord, please, please, I don't want to die. And then I crossed Dimwit Creek. And I, saw, and I had this vision of dead at Dimwit Creek. And secondly, you are a dimwit. And then I passed, Ohio, I saw the whole state of Ohio. In the dark and then in the light. And it's, it's just different than Portland. I, I passed one church. It was the full armor of God Baptist Church. What a name. It's better than the partial armor of God Baptist Church. But anyway, I met some wonderful people. And then I landed. And so good to be back in Portland where people are breaking windows and marching in the streets. So, but, but before we get going, uh, just two things that Jose asked me to do, but grab your Bible while I just mentioned a couple things and we're going to get into the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3. This is a text I've preached from here before, but it is on my heart today in light of what's going on in our city and in our nation. So before we get into that, uh, two things. Uh, Diana and I want to give a thank you to you as a church. Uh, Some of you are aware that... um, we're still on staff at West Side of Jesus Church, but 75% of our time is now launched from there. We have a nonprofit called Intentional Parents International because doors are opening up for us to travel and bring hope and practical help to parents in their God-given task of raising passionate Jesus followers. God's plan A for evangelism is that parents will lead their kids to Christ and make disciples of their own children. So we have the privilege of just going and sharing from our own lives and from the scriptures, and God keeps opening doors, and um, this nonprofit, you guys support us, so thank you. Uh, Westside supports us, uh, 26 West supports us, and so we just want to say thank you. Looks like we may be going to five countries next year. And uh, so parents are the same all over the world, whether it's Uganda or Zimbabwe or Albania or here in Portland. People need Jesus, and they need to know how to raise kids who love Jesus. So you're part of what we're doing. I wanted to say thank you. Secondly, Jose asked me to give a quick update of our little granddaughter, Birdie, because I guess he's mentioned a couple times that she's been going through some seizures. This is our sixth grandchild. 
Uh, she's seven months old, and uh, some of you know Brooke Moser, because Brooke and Elizabeth were on staff here with Jose when this church was planted. So uh, it's their third child, their little girl, Birdie, and Brooke was in L.A. for two years on staff at a really good church there, and then recently God brought him back to Portland to join Westside again, which is where he was when we planted your church. And uh, when they were looking for a house to rent, because they don't own a house, my daughter was searching, and one popped up on our street, and she recognized the name, and so they were able to get this house right across from us, which we get along really good. Some of you thinking, I don't want to live that close to my parents. They actually like us. You may find that hard to believe. But anyway, but when this crisis hit, it's been a real blessing. For In fact, my wife has to leave right after this to go. Birdie cannot be uh, out in any enclosed spaces because her immune system is extremely suppressed. And so for Elizabeth to get to church, Diane needs to go there and take care of the baby. We have a picture of her there. Oh, there she is, yeah. And... She doesn't really look like this now. Her face has swelled up a little bit because of this medication that she's on. But the update is, this is a three-month-long medication. The medication itself has horrible side effects. Um, one of them is high blood pressure. She's on blood pressure medication. But if she can make it through these three months um, with no seizures, and she's made it one month with no seizures. So that's the update. So thank God for that. And if she can make it through the three months and actually make it to one year old, this seizure doesn't happen in kids over one. She might be prone to other less serious kinds. So there is the update. All right, let's get into the scriptures. Whether in Portland or in Ohio, people need Jesus. Would you agree? Right now our nation is in shock. It is in angst. You're seeing anger everywhere. People are freaking out. And I just want to remind you that God is not in the heavens saying, oh no, Donald Trump became president. What am I going to do? <laughs> the Bible says God is sovereign over all the earth. He raises up one and puts down another. And Proverbs 21.1 says the heart of the king, or in our case the president, is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is always working through leaders in the world, whether they follow him or not. You, it's all over the Bible. And the reason we're commanded to pray for those in authority over us is because God can change their hearts. And so as followers of Jesus, I want to talk to you about how we live in the midst of this world that's freaking out in a city where they're breaking windows. I saw it last night coming home from the airport. Uh, you know, they were, they were marching still and the police were controlling it and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to talk about politics today. I just want to say in the midst of that, how do you as a follower of Jesus live above the fray? Because that's where we're supposed to live. Philippians says our citizenship is in where? heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're living in the kingdom of God. We're serving the King of kings, and we are his hands and his feet in this world. And we ought to be salt and light and shining like a bright star in a dark place. And when the Holy Spirit fills us, and when we're filled with God, and when we put on love, which is the title of this message today, then good things are going to happen. And the world desperately needs to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of real life. Now, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, and here's why I picked this passage. If you haven't figured it out yet, life is all about relationships. My relationship with God and my relationship with people. 
when they grabbed Jesus one day and tried to trap him, saying, hey, Jesus, of all the commandments in, uh, in, in the scriptures, what's the most important one? There are 613 commands in the, what we call the Old Testament, and they, they were trying to trap him like, <laughs> we got him now. And of course, you can't gotcha Jesus. He's God. <laughs> he didn't bat an eye. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and foremost command. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6. Then he said a second is like it or linked to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as my wife likes to say, loving God with passion and loving people on purpose is what life is all about. And it's how we do that that makes us shine like a star in the universe as it says in Philippians chapter 2. Now, if, you, if you've read the New Testament much, when you get into the epistles, in Ephesians, the first half of the book is all about doctrine and theology. The second half of the book is practical, how it, li- how it works in, in everyday life. In Colossians, which we're going to look at today, chapters 1 and 2, all about doctrine, who we are in Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, practical, how we live it out in relationships. And if you look carefully, it's, it's always in four arenas. Husband and wife, parent and child, and then the third one is boss an employee, and the last one is citizen and authority. And we're seeing a bunch of people that don't understand authority right now while they're breaking windows. We are supposed to live above the fray, but God is watching how we do marriage, how I love my wife. You ought to be able to go over to her, and she'll tell you I'm definitely not perfect. But she ought to be able to tell you what he preaches, he, he lives out through the power of the Lord in his home. And when he falls, he asks my forgiveness, whatever. How we do parent-child relationships how we do boss-employee relationships, and how we do citizen-kingdom relationships. God is, is like over our shoulder watching, and when we do it right, he's going, yes, out a boy, out a girl, I'm with you. And when we blow it, there's conviction because we need to repent because he is calling us to live above the fray. And so I want to talk to you about how to live in November 2016 right here in Portland, Oregon, as some people call it. Okay. Because I've learned really that true satisfaction, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's with friends, it starts with me, whether I'm walking with the Lord, and then it has to do with how I treat those around me. And so, let's read this passage together. We're going we're gonna to look at the first 14 verses, but I really want to talk about love at the end. And I want to give you this morning three things to put into practice this week in your relationships with others, in your relationship right at your home, whether it be at work or whatever. Colossians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, follow along. Two chapters of theology has, has already happened, and now it says this, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Here's why. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. First thing we need to remember in the midst of what's going on right now is let's remember our identity, all right? Remember who we are and whose we are. Look at verse 1 again. If you have been raised with Christ, that can be translated since you have been raised up with Christ Keep seeking the things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father. Where's Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's on the throne. 
He's not freaking out over the elections in the United States of America. He's on the throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you know, when I was at this parenting, just a little thing I picked up at this parenting conference I was at, I'd never noticed before, even though Jesus is the Lord of Lords, when he was 12 years old, the Bible says he subjected himself to his parents. So Jesus knew how to do relationships well. And this is one of the arenas. There's a lot of families here this morning where God is watching to see how you do relationships. But Jesus, the Son of God, he gave his life on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's reigning over the earth and over you, and he's praying for you too. I forget that sometimes. It says in Hebrews, he intercedes for us. And that, that ought to comfort you this morning. You say, like, I... I got things going on in my life while Jesus is praying for you. That you will love God with all your heart and that you will love people on purpose right here and right now. Because you belong to him, look at verse 2. Set your mind or your affections on things above, not on things that are on earth. John Corson said this, the only people who are truly happy on earth are those whose hearts are in heaven. In other words, when, when I'm living for things that are eternal, I'm not freaking out when things aren't going my way because God is in charge. We're happiest when we're living life in light of eternity. And three things that helped me do that, the offering basket just came around and mine was like folded shut. I thought, they don't want an offering. So I opened it. But where I put my treasure, not just money, but my time and my talent, when that offering bag goes by, if you, if you say, Lord, all I have is yours, as we sang, all I am is yours, and I'm going to acknowledge your lordship. I get to invest in the kingdom of God with a portion of what you've given to me. Then all of a sudden you care about what's going on in the church. You say, oh, Jose's in Scotland. You start praying for Scotland. Scotland is a country that's drifted far from God. Jose's over there talking with some leaders about going over there and preaching the gospel. So you're praying for him. You're praying maybe that that door would open. You're praying for orphanages. You're praying for families in the church because you realize that part of your tithes and offerings here go to the children's ministry and you start praying that kids would come to know Jesus at a young age or whatever it might be. Where you put your treasure helps you put your mind on things above. Secondly, trials. When everything's going great, let's face it, we tend to be self-sufficient. I'm doing fine, thank you. As soon as something goes wrong, as soon as sickness comes in, as soon as Birdie gets a seizure, we're changing our tickets, spending a bunch of money to get back home quick because there's a crisis in our family. And suddenly, who cares about this? Who cares about what kind of car you're driving? Who cares about what your bank account is? Our little girl is seven months old, and this could actually, one of the side effects of this thing is death. So we don't care about anything else because now it's all about her and it's all about things that really matter. And so when trials come, we realize we can't fix it. When my son got diabetes at age eight, I wanted to rip the thing out and give it to me, but I couldn't take it. I couldn't fix it for him. And his body isn't working like God originally intended it to, but one day I'll get a new body. When Diane goes deaf, she can't hear at times or she feels stupid because she didn't hear right when she's listening with this device she has that doesn't work perfectly. All these things make us set our mind on things above. Lord, Lord, this isn't, this isn't the end of all things. There's a new heaven and a new earth and a kingdom coming. And the other one is people who've gone on before. I thought of my mom. I think of my mom basically every day. My dad too, but let's face it. Something about his son and his mom because they feed you. and She spoiled me. Whatever. Anyway, 
I love her and I miss her, but I got to baptize her when she was 66 and my dad was 67, and they're with the Lord now. And I think about him often, and I can't wait to see him. How do you do this? You remember, I'm a citizen of heaven. This is who I am. Jesus is my king. (laughs) I belong to him. You're not the same person you were before you met Jesus. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. Aren't you glad about that? (laughs) You know how God's changed you. And if you haven't experienced this change, that's because you haven't given your life to Jesus. Because when he comes inside, he accepts you as you are. He forgives all of your sin right where you're at. And then he starts to go to work on you in his perfect love because he's a perfect father. And he begins to mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. And new things have come in your life. Now look at verse 3. It says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I've died, but I'm here this morning. What's that mean? Well, Paul said in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, if you were crucified when it was all over, would you be alive or dead? Dead. Not like the Princess Bride thing, partially dead. No, all the way dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Then Paul said, but nevertheless I live, but it's not I, it's Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I'm not the same Paul anymore. (laughs) In fact, his name was changed from Saul to Paul, Paul the Apostle. He said, I'm not the same guy. I'm the same body, but I'm a new creation. Christ has cleansed me. He's changed me. He's filled me. He's using me, and I am a new creation. And so this is how we need to think, and this is what we need to remember. And it changes the way we view life. If you want things to go well in your life, in your marriage, in the husband-wife relationship, in, with your kids, in the parent-child relationship, at work, you see, you can be a great leader and a lousy father. There are some millionaire, billionaire guys who are just, everybody thinks they're amazing at work, or they're, they're a surgeon, or they're a, and then they come home, and they're a different person. They're yelling at their kids. Their wife feels no love. You can be very successful and be a total failure as a father. And you could be a straight-A student and giving all kinds of lip to your parents at home. One of the ways, if you're a young person here, that you can honor God, that you can set your mind on things above, you know how you do that? By honoring your parents. God commands you to do that to reflect who you are, that you're a new creation. And actually, that's a command with a promise. Ephesians 6 says that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. And that thing of honoring your parents, it never ends. My parents are with the Lord, but right up until they went to be with the Lord, I was to treat them with honor and everywhere. So we have this upward call of God, it says in Philippians, in Christ Jesus. We need to turn our hearts on him. We need to set our minds on him. We need to turn our affections toward him. Like that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. You guys know that song? And the things of earth, you can sing it, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It doesn't mean the things that we're dealing with don't matter. It's just they they dim in comparison to him the king, and then he directs us how to bring light into the dark places around us. 
So how do you live in the midst of this world that we're in right now, this craziness that's going on when you turn on CNN or Fox News or whatever? Remember who you are. Remember your identity. Let's read on. Verse 5. Therefore, and I like to say whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, because of who you are and because of whose you are, because you've been risen with Christ and because, therefore, you're setting your mind on things above. Here's what it says. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, passion or lust. Passion can be good or bad depending on what you're passionate about. Here it's used negatively. Evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is all and in all. How do you live in the midst of this world? You remember your identity. Secondly, you dress accordingly. These are the things you need to put off. Paul uses this analogy of putting on a new suit of clothes. We're going to see what that looks like in a second. But first he says, get rid of your old clothes that you used to walk around in. There are two passages in the New Testament that are the best passages on relationships. And that's why I'm teaching from this one again. This one and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to the end of the chapter, which my wife and I teach on in our parenting conference. In fact, we as a family memorized the Ephesians passage and talked about it all the time with our kids. And I would say all of you, Ephesians chapter 4, 25 to 32, Colossians chapter 1, you should read them periodically because they're all about relationships, because life is all about loving God and loving people, and God tells us exactly how to do it. That's what I love about the Lord. So he uses this analogy of putting on a suit of clothing, saying get rid of the old dirty clothes you used to walk around in and put on your new ones. Now, just real quickly, he kind of describes the old clothes, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but he goes get rid of sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, which is sexual sin of any kind. Anything besides a blessed relationship between husband and wife is porneia or sexual sin. Impurity, get rid of greed. The basic definition of greed is wanting more. <laughs> and we struggle with this in America because every commercial we see Everything around us is you need this, you need this car, you need more, you need more money. There's always somebody who has more, and you're always tempted to want more. Malice, put aside malice. And, and what's malice? An attitude of ill will towards somebody, wishing them to be hurt. Now, the reason I picked this passage, what are we seeing right now in downtown Portland? Malice, an attitude of ill will towards people wishing them to be hurt. Some people are saying, I want to kill him. And then secondly, put aside slander. What's slander? Speaking badly about someone. <laughs> How many months have we been hearing that? And God says to you, live above the fray. 
It's a sad thing, and it doesn't speak well of Jesus Christ when we say, I love the Lord, and I hate that guy, or those people are idiots, or this is... It actually says in James that our mouths, from our mouth, shouldn't be speaking two different kinds of things, that there's something wrong if that's happening. We shouldn't bless God and curse men who are made in His image. Brethren, these things ought not be, it says in James, that we need to be filled with wisdom. So all around you, you're going to hear all kinds of talk and are hearing all kinds of talk and have been hearing all kinds of talk, slandering, and you've been hearing malice, and we need to live above the fray. And then it says, put abusive speech or filthy language away. Get rid of those clothes. Here's why. Look at verse 7. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. I don't know about your life before you met Jesus, but I was all these things <laughs> and more. And some I was more guilty of than others. But Jesus changed me. Trust me, I wouldn't be up here preaching if he hadn't changed me. And my wife would never have married me if he hadn't changed me. I am not the same person I was before I met Jesus. It was like darkness and light. And he is still changing lives today. And if you have yet to meet him, if you were invited here by a friend, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's never too late to give your life to Jesus because that's the beginning of the great adventure. That's when you get reconnected to the God who made you who has good things for you, and you can enter into the, his, his larger story, and your story becomes part of his story, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Your life has changed. You don't dress like you used to dress because you aren't that person anymore, so put on your new clothes. Let's see what they look like. Verse 12. And so, and as we read this list, this is how we should be living right now in Portland, Oregon, while they're smashing windows and all of that. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now he's talking to a church here. So our first application, these things I just read, which we're going to walk through real quick, applies to you as a church. You're kind of a, a new church in a sense. You used to be called Sunset of Jesus Church. Now you're 26 West Church. And a church is a family. It's a family of brothers and sisters. And how well you put off your old clothes in this church and how well you put on your new clothes in this church, first of all, in your marriages, husband to wife, a wife to husband, in your parent-child relationships, as brothers and sisters in the larger family of God right here is going to determine how loving this place is and how, how, how much people want to come here. Well, we planted um, Solid Rock of Jesus Church in 2004. There's about 150 of us. Some of you are here today that were part of that. Scott Wagner is here. I remember Scott. I'll never forget. We had that dry run, and Scott's there with his son. I forget how old he was, and it's like, Early in the morning, because we had to get there at 6 a.m. or something, and it's like, and I go, dude, like, you're here this. He goes, this is the birthing of a church. I wouldn't miss this for the world. <laughs> and here he is an elder now. It doesn't surprise me. We talk about them in our parenting conference, because they, they totally one-upped us on this thing. I can't get into it today, but they're awesome. If you want to know how to raise kids, go talk to Scott and Brenda. We brag about them everywhere we go. Where was I headed with that? Um, oh, you, so we planted this church, and 
my wife started pouring out her heart to the women because if the women connect, then the guys kind of come along. Let's face it, guys. <laughs> women are like relational. How are you? Oh, fine. Oh, really? I'm so sorry about that. I felt the same way too. And the guys are like standing next to the other. Yeah, dude, like, what did you do? See the blazer game, man? And like they're, they're having communication. They're not even looking at each other. But there's deep communication going on. <laughs> and the guys kind of come along. This couple came from a church that was kind of falling apart. They loved it. They were worshiping, hands in the air. And all of a sudden, a horrible crisis hit. One of them got very sick. And suddenly, they left our church. I go, where did they go? They went back to their old church that was falling apart, not because they wanted to go there, but because they had relationships there, friends that went way back who hadn't left when they left, and they needed support. And I never forgot that moment. I go, we're not a family yet. We have no history with each other. We're, we're new. We're, we're a bunch of people who love the Lord, and we have people who are getting saved and getting baptized. We're looking around like, I don't know that guy. And so, but over time, over time, we became a family. So that when Birdie got these serious seizures, love was poured out like you can't believe I'll get to that in just a second. And so these things that we're going to look at real quickly, I just want to say first application is right here. Next application is the family of God, the church with a capital C. And then the third application is to every single person in the world because Jesus said that we should love even our who? Enemies. But that the whole world would know that we're his followers because of our love for one another. So it starts here and then it goes there. Now, let's look at what he says. Put on a heart of compassion. To put on a heart of compassion is to care deeply about the pain and problems of other people. First of all, compassion is a characteristic of God himself. Exodus 34 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. God is compassionate. That's, that's how he describes himself. First thing he says, that's the first clear description we have in the Old Testament where God says, this is who I am. I mean, he says, I'm Yahweh, I am who I am. But he, then he says, I'm compassionate. And Jesus, in, in Matthew 9, 36, we read that seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember the story of Lazarus dying and Mary and Martha, that whole story. It's in John chapter 11 if you want to read it. So Jesus is a couple miles away and he gets this word like, Lazarus is sick, you need to come right now and heal him. And the Bible says he delayed his coming. Jesus delayed his coming on purpose, waited till Lazarus died, and then he shows up and they're crying. There's all this weeping going on. Martha is distraught. Master, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead, right? But he hasn't raised him from the dead yet. And John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, he entered into the grief and the sorrow and the pain of all the people who loved Lazarus and were grieving, he wept. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. And the joke is, if you say you can't memorize scripture, start with that one. 
John 11.35, Jesus wept. John 11.35, you memorize scripture, then go to another one, longer. <laughs> It'll do you good. The thing is, with Birdie, I've seen compassion like I've never seen it before. When we planted the church, we didn't really know each other. Now, it's like this overwhelming love that is pouring out because Brooke was in L.A. for two years, and quickly they made friends and people loved them. But if this had happened down there, it would have been so much harder for them. Everything's hard in L.A. Getting anywhere is hard in L.A. Parking anywhere is hard in L.A. But isn't the Lord good that when they were back up here across the street from one set of grandparents and then Brooks' parents, the Mosers, both sets of parents are in town. Relationships that go way back to before this church was planted are all here. Somebody starts a GoFundMe and it's suddenly got $10,000 in it. People are pouring out love, bringing by food, sending messages. It's like overwhelming outpouring of compassion. But here's what really surprised me. There are people crying over Birdie who aren't in our family. Some of you know the Newell family, Todd Newell. He's one of our pastors at Westside for a long time. His son, Ben Newell. Ben has three little girls. And Todd said, Ben cries every day for Birdie. Because he looks at his three healthy little girls. And then he looks, what if that was my girl? And he's crying. He's crying. And Ben's a tender-hearted guy. And Kenny, Kenny Stone, one of your pastors here, he told me that his little three-year-old, Patrick, when they pray as a family, she, he prays three years old for baby Birdie. <laughs> he prays for her. I mean, this is amazing. This is compassion. Compassion, you can write this down, your pain in my heart. Now, I personally have a long ways to go in growing in this kind of compassion. But what the world needs to see right now is compassion. Your pain in my heart because people need Jesus, whether they're in Ohio or whether they're in downtown Portland or well, whether they're in Hillsboro, they need the Lord. And so this kind of compassion is something that you and I are told to clothe ourselves with. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the people closest to us that get hurt the most by us. Secondly, put on kindness. By the way, kindness, the Greek word translated kindness it's not an ooey-gooey feeling, like, oh, I just feel so kind. It's doing something useful for another person. When you bring by the meal, when you meet a financial need, when you do something practical, it's a deed of kindness. You know, I was, you know, I was stupid. I drove all the way to the bottom of Ohio. Then I had to get all the way back to the top to catch my flight. And I picked the wrong road again because Dimwit Creek describes me, Dimwit. And I'm sitting here with all these lights. Lord, I gotta, I gotta preach at sunset. I gotta get this Highway 71. You know, I'm worried I'm not gonna make it back to Cleveland to catch my flight, and then there's a hole in the on the wing. But anyway, so I'm I'm down here, and I finally get to Cleveland. I'm standing at the rental car shuttle bus, and there's this lady here with this big suitcase, and this other guy, and I'm standing behind him. And the shuttle bus is getting just about pulling up. She turns to the guy, she goes, Yeah, isn't it amazing? They never never help you with your bags anymore. And the thing pulls up, and this delightful African-American gal whips up the door. Hi, how are you? Let me take your bag for you. <laughs> and I was going, mm-hmm. 
I'm like her. I'm so quick to complain. Uh, I'm not putting her down for that. That's something like I would have said. But I shouldn't, you know, that's my wife. My wife's not like me. She's more like Jesus. I'm so quick to say that was, you know, to criticize that or to judge this person. Here she is. You You know, she had a big suitcase, but... She was already slandering, already like, yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah, let me take your bag. That was a deed of kindness. The lady could have said, here's the door, load your bag. But she reached down and grabbed it. She did a deed of kindness, and the lady got really quiet really fast. But we're that way sometimes. We're, we're grumbling and complaining. Listen, God is watching in the husband and wife relationship, in the parent-child relationship, in the boss-employee relationship on both sides. God tells bosses how to treat their employees, employees how to treat their bosses with respect and not bad-mouthing them and backbiting them. And in the citizen authority, how we respond to the authority that God has placed over us. And instead of slandering or griping or judging or complaining, we're to put on compassion and we're to put on kindness. And then we're to do deeds of kindness. We should be the person opening the door and picking up the bag. If all you did this week was look around for how you could do kind things for people, you know, you'd have a blast. It's actually fun to go around not thinking of yourself and blessing other people. I should do it more. I'm preaching to myself. All right, we're to clothe ourselves with this kind of kindness. By the way, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Next, it says clothe yourself with humility and gentleness. We sang earlier, it stuck out at me because I knew I was going to preach this message, uh, that song, you use the humble Lord, so please use me. All I am is yours. You use the humble. God is opposed to the proud, it says in James, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble person thinks lowly of themselves and lives to lift up other people. Put on humility and gentleness. To be gentle is not to use force to get your way. In your marriage, I'm not going to use force to get my way. With your kids, I'm not going to use force to get my way. I'm going to appeal to them. Doesn't mean you don't lead as a dad or lead as a mom, but you don't use sinful anger or escalating anger or force to try to get your way. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, all all you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Here's why. Take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle and humble of heart and you shall find rest for your souls. He goes, look, just hook yourself up to me. Take my yoke upon you because I am gentle and I am humble. Next, put on patience. That word in the old King James is long-suffering. And you, if you think you're a patient person, let me give you the definition. The ability to be wronged over and over and over again and not retaliate. If you actually look at it, it's not even think about retaliating because you're long-suffering. This is how God is, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is so patient. When I was blaspheming him and didn't care about him and doing things that weren't pleasing to him, he was patiently working in my life, giving me opportunities, sending people my way because he wanted to save me because he was so long-suffering and patient with me. And then his son went to the cross for me. 
took my punishment upon himself, and he did it all because he's long-suffering. How patient are we to be? Look at this passage again. It says, bear with, with each other and forgive each other. How? Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So God forgave all of your sin. So you should then turn around and forgive all of the sin in other people. And to forgive their sin doesn't mean you're justifying what they did. It was wrong, just like what you did was wrong. But you've, forgiven, you've been forgiven so much. How could you not turn around and forgive others? How do I actually do this? It's not going to just happen. You and I have to choose every day, really moment by moment, to say no to sin and yes to him. You may have noticed that all these things were to put on are characteristics of Jesus himself, characteristics of God. Isn't it interesting that Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Did you put on Jesus this morning before you came? Oh, of course I did. I'm going to church. What about Monday morning? When you get up and you decide what you're going to wear to work or whatever, do you say, and now, Lord, I want to clothe myself with you. I'm going to open the Scriptures. I've only got 10 minutes, Lord, but I'm going to open the Scriptures. I'm going to sit in your presence. I'm going to repent of any sin, and I'm going to put on Jesus Christ, because I don't want to make any provision for the flesh today. I want to be salt and light, and I want to have a wise word to say when all the office conversation and all the slander and the backbiting and the sarcasm and the dirty stories, when it's all floating around, I'm going to be a light, and I can only do that when you're empowering me and when you're filling me. And so you make a decision to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're not going to do that unless you're willing to surrender to him completely. George Fox said this, when I gave him my will, he came to my heart and took out all that would not be sweet, all that would not be kind, and all that would not be patient, and then he shut the door. I love that. So I'm going to clean the garbage out of your life, and I'm going to fill you with me. You know, Jesus is always our example. It says in John 8, 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. Jesus said that. He did this by an act of his will. So what do you need to get rid of today? What do you need to put off? What has been hanging on to you too long that's hurting your marriage, hurting your parenting, hurting your witness at work, hurting your attitude? What, what do you need to get rid of and what do you need to put on? What needs to change? Finally, one more. Wrapping it all together. Verse 14. Please look at it. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I mean, even people that don't know the Lord know this. The Beatles sang it. All you need is what? <laughs> uh, what's that other one? What the world needs now is love sweet. Everybody knows this. But they don't know how to do it. They know it while they're marching in the streets. But love is the belt that ties together all these things, compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility. It's like you tie it all together with Christ-like agape love. If you want to do life well in your marriage with your kids, if you want to do life well at work and in, as a citizen 
of the United States of America and all these arenas where God is watching over your shoulder saying, good job, I saw what you did. I saw you, didn't, I saw you didn't talk back to your husband. I saw you didn't raise your voice to your wife. I saw how you stepped back and you prayed before you talked to your son. I see, good job, good job. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you. When you do that and then you put love on, oh my gosh, the world is desperate for sacrificial love. Everyone wants to be loved unconditionally. Not like, I'll love you if you do this for me. No, they want to be loved unconditionally. We're supposed to put on love because hatred divides people. Look at our nation right now. It's dividing because of hatred. Love unites people. It says in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Those of you who are married, which is most of you here today, how many of you are married today? Raise your hands. Tons of you. How's your marriage? Are you friends? Are you comfortable with each other? Or have you drifted apart? Is there some tension between you? You're walking on eggshells around each other. Your home should be a place where love reigns. When words are spoken that are unkind, they should be apologized for by the person who said them. And then the person who said them should make effort to mend the relationship. Your guys, your wife should feel your love, not feeling like she has to tiptoe around you. And I think I told you last time I was here, my, my wife knows I love her, but she wants to know that I like her. She actually likes it when I smile at her, which I need to do more of. Hi, babe. I'm smiling at you. Right. She likes that. You know, you guys know 1 Corinthians 13. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. It's the belt that wraps it all together. It's the most important thing. And let me just end with this. It's the mark of maturity in your life. I was asked a question. I can't remember what year it was. We planted the church. It was one of those hallway questions. Hey, somebody had been studying the Bible about what it means to be a mature Christian. And they grabbed me one day in the hallway. I think it was between services. Hey, hey. What's the sign of a mature Christian? And not because I was so smart, I just, it just came out of my mouth. I thought, love. Love. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, by your love for one another. Ultimately, what the world needs now is love. They need compassion. They need kindness. They need forgiveness. They need all these things but they need love. And we're the ones that are supposed to show the love of God to the world around us. That's why you were saved. Not just to hang out, me and the Lord, but to be a shining light, the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that's around you. That's the way to do it this week, gang. Say these three things after me. Remember your identity. Oh, that was wussy. Remember your identity? Dress accordingly. You've heard those two from me before, but number three, put on love. That's what we need to do tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, in our marriages, with our kids, at work, as a citizen. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Would you just set your stuff down and close your eyes and I want to just lead us in a
time of prayer. But before I pray over you, would you just close your eyes and would you ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? Whenever the Bible is preached, whenever the Scripture is read, God is speaking. And if we're listening, He's saying something. But I've noticed the Lord doesn't usually give us eight things to go do. He usually gives us one or maybe two. I wonder what it is for you. Would you ask Him? It's probably practical. I want you to spend more time in my presence because it's going to affect your speech. And I want to use you with your boss. Because you've been praying for your boss and hoping to share the Lord with them. Or you're blowing it as a dad. I see it, and I know you don't want to be that kind of father. I want to help you, so would you come to me so I can help you? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's something that needs to be out of your life, a, a, a pair of dirty clothing you're still wearing, and you're saying, today it's gone. Maybe it's compassion. Lord, Thank you that you are compassion. Fill me with you. Would you tell the Lord right now if he's bringing something to your heart? You say, yes, Lord, I obey. Lord Jesus, may we not be hearers of the word only who delude ourselves, look in a mirror and go away not remembering what we saw, but may we be doers of your word so that everywhere we go, people will taste of you, that the fragrance of Jesus will be there, and that we will represent you well, beginning in our homes for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.